on today's show, how to get ahead in the afterlife. Welcome to the Tutu the Paranormal Podcast with your host, Jen and Joe. Welcome back, listeners. We missed you. For our pre-Halloween spooky show. Happy Halloween season, everybody. I'm so excited, Joe, because, you know, I love this time of year where it's pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns and spooky stuff and... Fixing the houses up. Mm-hmm. I I didn't decorate it all for Halloween and... Like Dana and James go all out. I, I mean, know. they have a love it. house that people actually travel from 100 miles away <laughs> to look at all the stuff set up in the yard and all that. They have dragons and they have a giant snake that comes out of the ground. And, <laughs> um, I told her about That's great. how I was over at Big Lots. And I said, Big Lots has wolves that make noise in their heads move. She's like, what? Ah, and she, I she love went wolves. over and bought a bunch of them. <laughs> That's great. Um, I, uh, I didn't decorate outside at all. Mm-hmm. I did do the inside, but it's more fall decor. But Joe and I have been so busy. With, I know, that's the thing. It's our season, right? Yeah. Like we're speaking at events and, and hosting events and going to events and taping shows <laughs> but um i didn't have a lot of time to decorate but I, you know i like to get the stuff afterwards when it's all marked down yeah for next year yes but if you guys have a really cool halloween display put a picture of it on our facebook page yes. i want to see them i you know how we drive around in the winter time uh, for christmas mm-hmm. and see all the things i think we should drive around and find the ones because there's people i just was talking to someone and they said that their parents or someone actually have a radio station in their house like they do with the Christmas where you drive by and you hear Christmas music. Uh It's a Halloween house. That's great. I was um, talking to a girl today. Uh, I went uh, to my doctor's appointment and she had like um, spooky, scary tattoos all down one of her arm. It was nightmare before Christmas Uh type thing. And I was telling her, I was like, I see your arm. Are you into spooky stuff? And she's like, oh, yeah, I love haunted houses. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you should go to the Collingwood. They're having a ghost hunt. And she's like, I'm going to check it out. She was all excited about it. Uh, but she had the whole office decorated with like really <laughs> cool little things. So I was like, gave her one of our stickers. So of course. Hopefully she's listening. Hey, girl. Hey. And, um, you know, I just love this time of year because I love ghost stories. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> sit in bed. I don't know if you guys do, our listeners do this too. Do you guys like sit in bed and listen to ghost stories and they get really scared in your house? I never thought about that. I've been having really scary feelings in my house. And I don't know if it's just because I've been listening to these ghost stories Probably. or TikToks. <laughs> um, but I've heard a lot of knocks and bangs, which I normally do in my house, you know, because there's always some spirit or two hanging <laughs> around. But um, one of the the most popular ghost stories is the uh, legend of the headless horseman in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, and, and I 
for the show, I mean, I did watch a few videos on it and then it's mm-hmm. like, man, what a great story. It is. But some of it is based in legend and we're going to cover some of that today for you guys. What's really interesting is, um, I don't know, did you ever see the the television show on Fox that they did called Sleepy Hollow? No. It was so well done and it went off the air right before like the ending. So it never got an really? ending. Yeah, they like took it off the air and it left everybody hanging and there was like you know kickstarters to try to get it you know so at least get the end and it's really cool because the guy who was the headless horseman in there is the stunt man that i know from los angeles he played um or he was the headless horseman Mm -hmm. which was really cool and he you know kind of let um, you know, like how they do the behind the scene things. And it was it was interesting. I think he sent me a picture too, but I'll, I'll have to dig I don't know if out. you're going to mention it, but every year though, they still, in the town of Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. they still reenact that every Halloween. Yeah. And um, the guy who, um, I saw a video with him, the guy who actually rides the horse mm-hmm. in the costume, he said he always tries to carry the pumpkin, the but he said it's so hard carrying a 40 pound pumpkin with a light in it and trying to steer the horse. Mm-hmm. He said for safety, he just can't, he yeah. can't carry that pumpkin, but it's still really cool. Cause it's a black steed. He's all in black and yeah. you know, it, it, I'm sure it's very um, scary looking, <laughs> but I it put it on our bucket list, Joe, we yeah. got to go to New York. But, and I just, I was going to come on and try to read the, the actual story, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, Ichabod Kane got to the to the bridge and all that. But I'm not a very good storyteller, and uh, I think I, you are. It's just it's a long story. It though. is. It's very long because I was going to listen to it today, but it was an hour and forty five minutes. You know, like a book mm-hmm. on tape, and I was working, so I just oh, I okay. couldn't. But I I have some information about Sleepy Hollow, New York, so. Washington Irving, he was the author of Sleepy Hollow. Now, it's interesting. He had an interesting life. He didn't write it while he was in New York. Mm -hmm. He actually left and went to Ireland, and that's where he started writing. But what's interesting is that town was established in 1640, and he wrote the book, I think, in the 1800s. At some point, I can't remember, but um, he had heard... The legends. Now, he based it around this town that he had spent time in, and he has a house there, which is now a museum. And it's so interesting because I, as a writer, see how he picked, you know, names and characters and and, and places. And, you know, I appreciate that. But part of the basis for the idea of the book came from Irish, German, Scottish legends mm-hmm. of a headless horseman which was an actual thing yeah i've got the info <laughs> on that we'll go over that after yeah now there's also what's interesting about sleepy hollow now it's above new york city it's on a river and it's kind of close to the border of connecticut so like if you flew into bridgeport you could probably drive there within an mm-hmm. hour or you could go into new york city and then you know go up I don't know if you want to go in through New York City because of the traffic. Um, you know me, I don't like bridges. So um, <laughs> I'd probably have to go into Bridgeport and go through the country. But um, the claims are of that land before it was Sleepy Hollow. 
the Native Americans would go to that spot to do their rituals way before white settlers ever um, came in there. There's so, so there's something to that land that apparently, you know, is either sacred or hollow or some kind of spiritual meaning to yeah. the Native Americans. Hollowed ground. Yeah, which is interesting. Sleepy hollow, right? So what's interesting is, you know, it wasn't really called Sleepy Hollow until around 1985, I believe it was, where the town decided to change the name. Mm -hmm. When he was actually there and spent time there, the holler, it was more of a area, not a town. Mm -hmm. Because when you consider, when you call it a holler, it's, or hollow, it's a big part of land. And it's just down by the rivers where he found the town of Carytown. And that's the town he fell I guess fell in love with, I should say, mm-hmm. or fell in love with the history and the the legends to eventually make up this story. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, we know it was a made-up story. We know it was fiction, but it's based in legends. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, too, is there was an actual bridge, the bridge mm-hmm. that he had in the story. That crumbled long ago. They put a replacement replica bridge there now is where everybody goes and takes mm-hmm. their photographs but there was an actual bridge that went over the the i don't want to say it's a river it's at that part mm-hmm. it was more like just a creek a, a creek yeah. yeah but a you know it was bigger than just a small creek you could jump over it was you know something you would have to have a bridge to to get over what's interesting too is on that space where the old bridge was which you can go to Mm -hmm. it's still there you can still see a little bit of the foundation but there's no actual bridge people are still seeing apparitions yeah there of a dark figure they have heard horse trotting you know whatever what they call it clapping i i I, I just think of the coconuts joe mentioned the coconut making the horse sound with the coconut python right (laughs) That's <laughs> what we should have had at the beginning of the show. Right. And chains being rattled. So people are still hearing that. So since the early 1600s to the 1700s, there have been reports of presence being felt and um, horses, like I said, horses, um, you know, sounds of horses, I guess you would say. This area was where the Dutch settled in. So, you know, they kind of moved the Native Americans out of their own land. <laughs> And Which they, a lot of people have done. Right, and settled there. So what, you know, kind of led to the legend, and I'm getting a little bit away from the actual story now, mm-hmm. and this is more of like the history side of it, was that um, during the American Revolution, the British hired Hessian soldiers, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's the way I pronounce it, Hessian soldiers, who were German mercenaries, and they were hired by the British um, to help fight the um, American colonists in 1776. Now, they first landed on American soil August 15th of 1776. And in less than two weeks, they were already engaging in bloody battles with um, the colonists. So it was George Washington's troops fought Mm -hmm. against these mercenaries. And they were extremely versed in battle They were merciless killers. They didn't care. They, you know, would just go in and decimate whoever they found. I did find some of their um, 
weapons that they used were basically broad swords, which are like swords that, you know, have that curvature Mm -hmm. to them. Something they called hangers, which is basically a really long skinny sword. So if you were on a horse and you would have a long reach because you had this really long, I mean, they were like four or five foot long swords, sometimes longer. Some of them they showed were almost six foot long. So think, you know, of the advantage you would have being up on a horse with a long sword versus somebody who was just fighting on the ground with probably a machete or whatever <laughs> they had. And then they had sabers. They There were some, um, which is basically a fancy, mm-hmm. fancy sword. Not a lot of talk of guns in this battle. I'm sure there were, but yeah. they didn't. These Hessians were more hand-to-hand combat type. And the thought of okay. and also with them, the way that they rode made a big difference in this legend also is because they were pretty much tied to their horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they controlled the horse. It's sort of like the jousters. They control the horse with their legs instead of their hands because their hands were being used mm-hmm. with the swords. Yeah. And they were so imposing because they would wear what they called mitered hats. So it made them seem much, much taller than they were. Although they were very tall. At the time, the average American was only like 5'9". So basically, we were a lot of shorties, right? Mm -hmm. And these Hessians um, that came over, they were over six foot tall. Then they wore these giant hats that made them look like seven or eight foot tall. I mean, compared to like people seeing this giant person on a giant horse. They were normally dressed with a blue coat that had lace and colorful trim. But some of them would wear dark colors. So they, at night, wouldn't, would blend it. Mm-hmm. You're right. You couldn't be able to spot them. Which adds to the legend also. Yeah. Which is really creepy if you think about it. They um, were paid about, in modern times, what it would be about $2,107 um, per month, I guess it would be. Um, which is a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. now For a soldier back then. Yeah. So they... There were about 900 of these German Hessian soldiers that were captured. Some of them, they actually were convinced to switch sides. So they didn't have loyalty to anybody. No, they were just like soldiers for hire. Right, exactly. So some of them switched side and fought along our guys. I'll just say our guys. Okay. Because I don't George Washington. I don't think there was any chicks in this war, right? But what's interesting is in... Recent times, and I think it was 2017, uh, don't quote me on that, but they found skeletons of 13 Hessian soldiers in a mass grave at a battlefield called Red Bank, and it's a national heritage site. They found them only four and a half feet deep, and there was a 1766 gold King George III coin found with them. So was that a payment? from our side it's hard to say who knows yeah Um, or did they take that or you know mm -hmm. so clearly they were killed in battle they were buried at the site but there is a legend and this is this kind of interesting and i this this story kind of just was you know got to me but there was a story and this is I don't know if this is complete legend, but there was a diary found of a Hessian soldier, which you can find online. I I was trying to read through it today, but I didn't get through all of it. 
but he basically kept a journal and some of this comes out of there. So there was one uh, Hessian that escaped um, from the British and they captured him 28 miles from where he had escaped. Now they escorted him back and gave him over to the French. Now, you know, the French are famous for decapitating mm -hmm. as a form of, you know, punishment. So they think maybe that the legend of the Sleepy Hollow could be him because he was captured and somehow lost his head. Now, there's another report that there was a soldier that was helping a Dutch family. So they're entire farm got burnt the building and whatever other structures they had but he had been taken in by them and he they fed him and hid him and when this happened he grabbed one of the the infants because they were just gonna murder the, all the people and the infants he got the family out he was able to save the child and and hid that child somewhere along the way and then he got either captured or they think possibly his horse got hit by an arrow so it was wounded so they were able to catch up with him after you know the family got away and either his head was blown off by a cannonball yeah. or they got him and decapitated him they think it was the first with the cannonball because the horse was still moving when they caught mm -hmm. him and he was sitting upright and his body was still upright, like he was moving along. And that's one good thing about these legends are there's so many different stories that can add credibility to it. You know, I mean, obviously this came from a diary, but there's also another version of this that I believe the city embraces. During that battle with George Washington's uh, soldiers, only one cannon was fired. And when it was fired, the cannonball actually decapitated a soldier that was on a horseback, one of those mm -hmm. soldiers. It actually decapitated him, and the horse kept running. So you had a headless horseman. Mm -hmm. The guy just died. And the way that the, they are sitting in the saddle, he didn't fall off the horse. Now, the family actually felt so bad about this. And they didn't know if this was the soldier that helped them or not. But what they did was they actually took the soldier and buried that soldier on the, um, and the legend has it that the, the family buried him mm -hmm. in the churchyard oh, okay. that they see the headless horseman riding to over the bridge. Mm -hmm. And there's no documented proof that the family buried him in that churchyard. Mm-hmm. But all legends point to that. And there's actually a plaque where the headless horseman's head was shot off. You can actually go now and there's still a plaque there saying oh, that's the exact spot. I bet you it's so haunted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in and around that area. So, you know, there's a lot of acti um, paranormal activity in and around the cemetery. Mm -hmm. But there was also a report of... Um, a man, and this is in the 1980s, I think they said 1986, 
a man named Richard Williams. He was driving to work at 5.30 in the morning from Bridgewater going into Sleepy Hollow. And he saw a man in a long tunic on a horse with no head mm-hmm. riding around. So I think that's really interesting. Um, there's also been strange animal deaths after seeing the apparition. Um, dogs and horses. Um, strange animal deaths. And then in 1920, there was a group of seven priests who were um, called to talk about uh, to the entity, I guess, of this headless mm-hmm. horseman. And the priest claimed that he told them he was now one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And um, I have to look into that a little bit more. Um, I don't know much about the four horsemen yeah. of the apocalypse. Yeah, Genesis, in the Bible, the Genesis tells mm-hmm. of the end of times. And one of the end of times is the four horsemen gather together. Yeah. And each horseman is a different part, uh-huh. you know, of the end of times. Oh, okay. Each one is like... One's would be like war, one's be like famine, one be, you know, that mm, kind of thing. Okay, I gotcha. But yeah, it's just, I love that story so much. It just, I love a really, really good creepy ghost story. I'm sure people tell it all the time. And I think maybe people need to go back and read that book, you know, or listen to it on tape. I, I think people should physically read it because, the emo, you know, the, the, the radio of the mind yeah. is so much better. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, even though, like we said, it is a fictional book, it's based in legend, but people are still, to this day, mm-hmm. seeing the apparition of the Headless Horseman. Yeah. Now, the thing about the Headless Horseman is there, it goes back in legend of so many different places. The Irish folklore, the Dolmen... Or the Dulchman, that which is stands for Dark Man. Okay, is a headless demonic fairy, usually riding a horse, carrying his head under his arm. He wields a whip made from a human corpse spine. Oh, creepy! When the Dolman stops riding, a death will occur. The Calham calls out a name, which at one point of that person. That person does die. Oh, so basically he's announcing their death. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. In another version, he is the headless driver of a black carriage called the Koister Barhar. In a similar fate, the figure can be warded away by a wearing a gold object or putting a gold object in its path. Well, what's interesting is that they found that gold coin in... The grave of those oh, 13 of soldiers. So yeah. I'm wondering if that has something to do with the That's legend. That's possible. Too. Now, there's also in the Scottish folklore, there's most of the prominent Scots tales of the Headless Horseman concerns a man named Ewan who decapitated in a clan battle at Glen Kenier on the Isle of Mull. Um, I don't know where that's at, but I'm sure it's off the coast of Ireland somewhere. Uh, The battle denied him any chance of being the chieftain. So both he and his horse are headless in accounts of his haunting near the area. Now, among the Highland Scottish in Cape Brenton, Nova Scotia, um, people are seeing and hearing the image of a horse and a horseless or a headless rider. And it's traditionally regarded as an omen of the eminent death within the family. Wondering if any of this came about before the Titanic sunk. Because it sunk near 
it were, I think it was heading towards Nova Scotia, wasn't it? Oh. <laughs> we'll have to look into yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know why I tied those two things together, but maybe that's my psychic abilities for the day. Uh, in German folklore, now this is interesting. Now in Germany, the headless horseman stories come mostly from the Rhineland. Rather than using a decapitation, the headless horseman killed their victims by simply touching them. They were uh, renovants who had wandered the earth until they had atoned for the sins, sometimes by doing a good deed for a stranger or instead showing their gratitude by shaking hands. Um, the stranger and the horseman held a tree branch between them and the branch would either wither and die rather than the stranger. Which interesting. In place, in, like in place of the stranger. Yeah. And then... The author, uh, Washington Irving, he had traveled to Germany in 1821 and be had become familiar with the Dutch and German folklore surrounding the Headless Horseman. Now, in particular, the last um, Legends of Rubazal is a story by um, a German folklorist, I guess you would call it. I can't pronounce it. He's got a really long name. <laughs> I won't even try to pronounce it. But um, in 1783, he or his story was said to have inspired the legend of Sleepy Hollow, but it's yet to be verified. Now, what's interesting is we also have another legend of a headless horseman out in Arizona. This one is very interesting. Yeah. This one is, I, actually, it's a pretty cool story, but it's also tragic, but it's also pretty cool. Yeah, so this is called the Red Ghost of Arizona. Now, the legend began in 1883 when two men left the ranch house near Eagle Creek to check on their cattle. While they were out, one of the rancher's wives heard the dogs barking loudly, followed by a loud scream. She rushed to the window and saw what she could only describe as a huge reddish colored beast ridden by a devilish looking creature and proceeded to lock her front door and wait for the men to come back. When the two men returned... They have found the other wife had been trampled to death. The men followed the footprints left by the creature the next day and found red hair in a bush. Now, a few days later, a group of prospectors had reported seeing something tearing through their campgrounds. Red hair was later found at the site. The creature again was spotted a few days later, this time being described as 30 foot tall and knocking over two wagons with red hair again being found. Now the legend quickly spread that of various tales being told. One described the creature killing and eating a grizzly bear, while another said it had disappeared into thin air when being chased. But all the tales agreed that the skeleton of a man was on its back. Now, a cowboy had tried to lasso the beast, but it was knocked, he was knocked to the ground and, and almost nearly killed by it, but not before seeing the figure having the skeleton on his back. A few months later, a group of five men shot at the beast, missing the beast, but shooting off the head of the skeleton and then finding that it still had some of the hair attached to the skeleton. And skin, too, which is gross. And the legend remained popular until 1893 when a farmer named Mizu Hastings found the creature eating in his yard and proceeded to shoot it, killing it with a single shot. 
Now, it was discovered that the beast was a camel. <laughs> yeah. With leather straps stuck on its side so tight that it was scarred. It remains unknown why there was a dead man attached to the back, but various tales have explained over the years. Somebody would say it was a prospector who died of thirst who had tied himself to the back of the camel hoping it would bring him to water. And others say it was a soldier trying to learn how to ride the camel when it bolted off. Um, both parts of the legend um, are still questionable and their records um, have been missing for a long time. But what's interesting to add to that story is during the westward, um, westward expansion into the United States, military forces were looking ways, for ways to um, transport easily around the arid region. So, you know, there's deserts out, out west. So throughout the early 19th century, um, many proposals were made to use camels as pack animals. And so with a proposal by then Secretary of War Jefferson Davis, not Jefferson Davis Hogg from the <laughs> Dukes of Hazzard, oh. not that one. Um, he finally approved in 1855 with a budget of $30,000, which it was a lot of money back mm -hmm. then. It's probably millions these days. An experiment that would later be known as the Camel Corpse. And it was... Um, a process where they acquired camels um, from the Mediterranean and they got 70 of the camels. And the project was originally an ex a success, but due to the American Civil War, it was largely abandoned with many of the supporters like Jefferson Davis had joined the Confederacy. So the camels were either sold off or auctioned and some were never seen um, for decades after that. And they probably just died out somewhere that was always a legend for years and you still hear legends of the great beast with a skeleton riding on its back I know. and it turned out it was just a camel but as you can see in these legends it says that it was so big and it it knocked over two wagons and it ate a cattle <laughs> and all this but what's interesting is you know when i first started hearing that i was thinking sasquatch yeah because we just talked about the red-haired giants yeah. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but it makes sense. But how long would a, a body have to be on the back of, or take till it's down to the bones? Yeah. You know? That camel, there were stories of the giant beast mm -hmm. for years. It would be seen because out west back then in the 1800s, it wasn't as populated, so... Yeah. This thing just traveled all, all over the place with this person strapped to his back, and he just de decayed, and I'm sure was eaten by birds and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, because you would think, like, do the tendons keep the bones all together in a skeleton, or was it just like, like, you know, when you see the shrunken head where the skin just is so dried out that it just, mm -hmm. maybe it just held everything and that's together why like it, that? he said when they... The, they actually shot the head off. It still had skin and hair on it. <laughs> oh, gross. So, you know, a lot of these legends are based in truth. Mm -hmm. Now, there's one scary story. The legend of Elmore, Ohio's headless rider. A soldier proposed to his girlfriend as he left for World War I. As time went on, he wrote letters back and forth. At first, she continued to respond until one day, her letters stopped coming. After three years, his time 
at the war came to an end, and he headed home. He returned to his home in Elmore, Ohio. He rode his brand new motorcycle to his fiance's house. Stepping onto the porch, he could see through the window that she was in the arms of another man. Bum, bum, bum. Devastated, he jumped back on his motorcycle, fired up the engine, and ripped out of the gravel driveway, heading off into the west. Racing down the road, coming to the Mud Creek Bridge, he lost control and crashed. A driver came upon the gruesome scene and found his lifeless body, but the man was shocked when all he found was the body missing a head, along with the motorcycle's headlamp. The head and the headlamp were never found. Bum, bum, bum. Let's go to Elmore and look for it, Joe. It's not that far away. No. Nope. No. If you're driving along the road and you come to the bridge, you might see the rider's lamp and maybe catch a glimpse of the headless rider looking for his head. In 1969, Sergeant Gill and a friend were traveling down the road when all of a sudden, in the rearview mirror, he saw a ghostly light coming up on him fast. He sped up as fast as a car would go, but the light was traveling faster and caught up with him. He expected to feel a crash when the headlight came to his back window, but instead of a crash, the light actually traveled through his car and out the front. As the light got to the bridge, it blinked out and vanished. It said that on March 21st, you drive to the bridge at midnight, flash your lights, and honk your horn three times. You will see a light off in the distance coming upon you. But be warned, if you dare attempt this, the fright you may receive may change you forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the story of the (laughs) Elmo, Ohio headless rider. I think every state has a headless rider story. Every small town has a headless story. (laughs) Cool rider. Do you remember Grease 2? Cool rider. No ordinary cool would do. The legend (laughs) of the headless rider and the ghost bride and the bus that full of kids that crashed. Yes. We but love I it. love these stories. I, do I too. love the legends they and I too. love going to these places because you they they may be based in legend and they may never happen. You may never like Gibbs mm-hmm. Bridge. We go to Gibbs Bridge, there's supposed to be the accident where the person lost his head. Yeah. The motorcyclist lost his head mm-hmm. and the bus crashed and all that and there's absolutely no truth to these stories. Yeah. But yet people are seeing things at these locations. You're going. People go to Elmo, Ohio and do this on what was the March twenty first, oh. and this stuff they say is actually happening. So once again, we talk about that. Is it happening because so many people are expecting it? Are they creating tulpas and having be. these legends come true because all the paranormal like, people are people are going out there expecting the paranormal activity? Absolutely, and let's keep it going because it's so cool. Like. I remember when we went to Gibbs Bridge and I got the EVP of it yes. saying Gibbs Bridge. Yes. <laughs> it was awesome. And, you know, it's, I don't know if this is like related or not, but our sister Peggy had seen in, we, she lives in um, just over the border of Michigan from Ohio, just the town over. And she was coming home one night and it was dark out and she saw the a ghost of a Native American riding a horse through a cornfield. 
Mm-hmm. She's like, I saw it. I saw it. I'm like, I believe you because she's not one to tell t- far tales, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, you you got to get out there and you got to look. You know, we're stuck in our houses. I know it's cold. I know it's, you know, getting chilly out and the night air is damp. But if you want to see something, you've got to get out and do some research. Find these legends in your area. Go out to the area. Don't yes. go alone. Yeah. Because. Don't break the law. And don't trespass. Because like I did in Gettysburg. <laughs> the living are scarier than the dead. Yeah, for sure. Gibbs Bridge is a good example of that too, is there was a guy that would actually chase people off the bridge. Well, remember the guy that approached Chris Tillman and I? Mm-hmm. So Haunted Toledo's um, founder, Chris and I, and I know I've told this story before. I'll just make it really, really brief. We went out there. This guy came up and told us to stop filming. He was so scary like I've never encountered anybody. He was like serial killer scary. Yeah. And we were both like I didn't we st- he I don't know. I can't even explain it. Mm-hmm. He did not let us leave for an hour and it was frightening cuz he was in basically interrogating us and we didn't know if he had a weapon or not, but we didn't I didn't turn off the video camera. I pretended I did, mm-hmm. but I put it down at my side cuz I didn't want to film him. We may have got a little bit of him on film, um, but that was pretty frightening. He was tired of people coming yep. to yeah. that spot, and he didn't even live anywhere near it. There were no, no, there's no houses right by it. He came from a ways. Yeah, and that was the story. And you know, people talk about the person that chases them off the bridge all the time, and it was him. And he hasn't left since then. Yeah, he's moved on to a different city or whatever. He's not not dead or nothing, you know, but. It, he um, moved out, mm-hmm. and even the sheriff out there said, yeah, this guy was yeah. harassing people. Cool, cool. And that's the thing, too, is you go to these places where these legends happen, and a lot of these towns don't like people going to these locations because you're going to bridges where cars are driving by, and it is dangerous. Yeah. And you do have people out there that think that they are in charge of that. Yeah. And I, I used to see that a lot when I did the photo hunting. I would go to locations and take pictures, and all I'm doing is taking pictures of, like, bridges and stuff like that. And there's always someone that comes up and says, what are you doing? Right. So be careful if you ever find these, but you know, look up for, look for these legends in your area and let us know on our Facebook page. Tell us your legend. Yeah, Tell us definitely. if you made it out to these places, see what kind of activity you did get and, and let us know. And you know, not every place like sleepy hollow, New York, they embrace that. Yes. They welcome that. Yes. Cause that's tourism dollars mm-hmm. that come in. Um, same thing with Salem, you know, they've really embraced you know, it was a dark history and, mm-hmm. and strange time, but now it's one of the number one Halloween. It probably is the number one Halloween um, spooky destination mm-hmm. in the United States is uh, Sleepy or um, Salem, which we've never been to, Joe. Yeah, we need to get out there. Yeah, we need to get the there. Summer. Sleepy Hollow, Savannah, a couple other places yeah. on our bucket list. But guys, like I said before, if you have a really cool Halloween decorations in your yard or a setup, put a picture on our Facebook page where you want to see it. We need some inspiration. And stay tuned next week as we go through the Halloween season. We will bring you the history of Halloween. Yes, we'll have some interesting um, facts surrounding that. But anyways, you guys, have a wonderful week. Get out, do some ghost hunting. Go 
to your local library and listen to, you know, there's a lot of presenters out there right now doing um, speeches at local Mm -hmm. libraries about haunted things. Go support those people. It's most likely free. um, And, you know, it's it's good to support your local um, storytellers and legends and paranormal teams. Yes. And help support us. Get up on our website. Uh, We have a support button there if you want to support us with a monetary donation. Mm -hmm. Or if you enjoy the show, share it with your friends. Post it on Instagram. Put put us up on there. Let your friends know that our show exists. And hit that subscribe button. Hit that follow button. Leave us a positive rating review, all that stuff. And you could become one of our Patreon partners. We do have our Patreon up. It's not 100% yet, but it's active. So if you guys want to support us, it's... A small, like less than a cup of coffee a month, you could support the show. So, guys, be a partner. And I'll put those links in the show notes. Yeah, so for that sure. So you can click on it and uh, have a great week. Yes. Stay spooky, everybody. Yes, and remember next weekend is the Blood Moon Paracon coming up mm-hmm. in Eaton Rapids, Michigan. Come on up. Say hi. Get it's going to be a great event. Yep. It's a very low-cost event. Only $5. Well, thanks for listening this week, and we will talk to you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Love you, guys.